Hello and welcome to another teaching by 119 Ministries. Our ministry teaches that the whole Bible is true and applicable for our lives today. If you would like to know more about what we believe and teach, please visit us at testeverything.net. We hope that you enjoy studying and testing the following teaching. There exists a popular Christian doctrine that states that we are currently in his rest because of our faith and belief in the Messiah. This rest that we are now in supposedly replaces the reoccurring seventh-day rest known as the Sabbath. In this teaching, we will present the following. Number one, we are currently not yet in that rest in the Messiah. Number two, the rest is promised to us in the future, permitting we do not fall into disobedience and unbelief. Number three, we will show how the weekly seventh-day Sabbath is a prophetic foreshadowing of a 1,000-year period called the Day of the Lord. Number four, because this 1,000-year Sabbath in which our Lord and Messiah will reign is represented by the seventh-day Sabbath, our Messiah referred to himself as Lord of the Sabbath, relating the seventh-day Sabbath back to its prophetic nature. Number five, we will still be keeping the seventh-day Sabbath even as the prophetic nature of being the day of the Lord is being fulfilled. Number six, lastly, we should still be keeping the seventh-day Sabbath as a day of rest because the Sabbath is a commandment of God, we are not currently in his rest, and even when we do enter his rest, the prophets tell us that we are to still observe the seventh-day Sabbath at that time. So let's begin. Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day, and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember. Do you remember when he gave us the Sabbath? Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Are we to no longer keep the seventh-day Sabbath holy? Holy means to be set apart. It is to be different than all the other days because we are told by our Creator to rest, per His example, from the beginning. The seventh-day Sabbath was made in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, and the Sabbath was also made for man, Mark chapter 2. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not something new at Sinai. The Sabbath was made holy from the beginning. The Sabbath was made for man. Thus, if the Sabbath was set apart by our Creator, He did not set it apart for Himself, but for man. We have been instructed to keep the day set apart since the beginning. 
Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Believe it or not, Yahweh does everything for a reason. The Sabbath is designed to teach us about the end times still to come. The Sabbath is prophetic, and we will cover that prophecy later in the teaching. However, some take the prophetic nature of the Sabbath, correctly apply it to the Messiah, but make an error in timing and declare that the Sabbath is here today. In this understanding, we now no longer rest on the seventh day literally. We spiritually rest the Messiah each and every day. One immediate problem with dissolving a literal application of the Sabbath is that we see that when our Messiah returns, that we will have the Sabbath days even during the 1,000-year reign. Isaiah 66 From new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares Yahweh. From Sabbath to Sabbath, during the 1,000-year reign, all nations will worship Yahweh. This is as literal as the moon's new moon cycle itself. The moon references units of months. The Sabbath references units of weeks. The Sabbath is valid and applied even after our Messiah returns. Are we supposed to believe that the Sabbath was valid and kept holy while our Messiah was here in the first century, and also valid when he returns? But in the middle of that, the literal application of the seventh-day Sabbath is absent? What kind of strange doctrine would conclude that the Sabbath is an off-on, off-on type of instruction from our Father? That is certainly a problem. The fulfillment of the spiritual understanding does not nullify the physical application, and likewise, the physical application is to teach us the spiritual understanding. Greek-centered theology attempts to divorce these concepts as being mutually exclusive. However, these concepts are biblically married to the core well beyond just the Sabbath. Let's look into this issue a little deeper. Have we already entered into his rest? It's quite popular to teach that we have. Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In this instance, our Messiah did not declare when we will have that rest, only that in following him, it is promised that we will find rest. So when do we have that rest? Some suggest that we have rest already in the Messiah. The core support of this entire doctrine is derived from these eight words. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. At first glance, through these eight words, it can be understood why it can be interpreted that believers have already entered into his rest. It is even easier to walk away with such an interpretation if you approach these eight words with a predisposition to interpret it in this way. It is adamantly taught that since we are supposedly already in his spiritual rest, then there is certainly no valid reason to keep his Sabbath literally as the word instructs. Significant confidence is placed on the interpretation of those eight words. Such an interpretation offers a theological license to discard a particular commandment of God as obsolete. 
This is supposed to be an attractive doctrine to those who teach that resting on one day a week is bondage instead of freedom. Instead of a sanctified or set-apart rest every seven days as the Word of God teaches and as Yahweh modeled for us in the creation week, supposedly we are now resting every day. Consequently, the seven-day pattern model established in the beginning has now been discarded as fulfilled with this new doctrine. It is usually taught that Israel in the wilderness received a different gospel than we received, and they had to do works to be acceptable to God. It is taught that Israel in the wilderness had to labor in law-keeping to be justified to God. We, on the other hand, supposedly rest from our works. We will test that perspective to the surrounding context of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. We will find that the popular interpretation of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3 has left sound scriptural teaching and entered into a philosophical and theological Alice in Wonderland. When only eight words build the doctrine, there are not many scriptural parameters to include in one's theology. As we explore Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, this will become rather clear. That aside, the real impact of this doctrine modifies what Scripture teaches on the biblical observance of the Sabbath. That is the goal of this doctrine. The same Sabbath that Yeshua observed, and every author of the Bible observed, and now set aside or in place with the, we have rest in Christ every day now, doctrine. What this does is change the, literally rest every seventh day, to, we do not have to literally rest every seventh day any longer. Keep in mind, resting is how our Creator kept the Sabbath day holy, or set apart from all the common days of the week. So what proponents are suggesting is that our Messiah came to make all days common and teach us to no longer keep the Sabbath set apart or holy. Alarmingly, on these eight words alone in the letter to the Hebrews, the extent of this core support and evidence is founded for this doctrine. From these eight words, a whole doctrine is built. Obviously, it should not be considered best practice to build whole doctrines with such a few words of Scripture, especially when it teaches that one of God's most important commandments has either changed or been abolished. Another unfortunate reality is that many do not test the doctrine to Scripture, but instead place their faith in the doctrines of men. When we pull half a sentence out of the context of a whole letter, it should not be rather difficult to imagine that we have placed ourselves at serious risk for interpretive error. If there is ever a reason to test everything, then this would certainly be a perfect example. We often assume others are smarter than us. We trust hundreds of years of doctrinal history. These are both obstacles to testing doctrine for ourselves. As a result, both assumptions can place us at risk of incorporating error into our theology. All believers are equipped to understand and study His Word. And in the end, we will not have teachers to point fingers at when we are judged. We are responsible and accountable to what we believe. Therefore, should we not determine if Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3 proves that we are in His rest now? Shouldn't we consider the surrounding text? Should we continue just trusting in men's doctrine that abolish the commandments of God? What is the Sabbath? Before we test such an understanding of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3 to Scripture, we should understand the basics about the biblically established Sabbath. Because the seventh day was declared set apart in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, we have been since instructed to continue to keep the day set apart or holy. It is also a perpetual covenant, which is sort of the opposite of an ending covenant. Think about that for a moment. Did Yahweh call it a perpetual covenant because he was going to end it? Oops. Exodus 31. 
Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations, for a perpetual covenant. It simply consists of resting and not directly causing others and animals to work. This means to keep the day set apart from all other common days. What are some of the unaddressed problems in the mainstream doctrine on the Sabbath? Number one, even the foreigner that is grafted into Israel is told to keep the Sabbath holy. There is no difference between believers. This is a problem for those who teach that God gives different instructions to different groups of God's people. The reality is that God's word teaches that there is one law for all. Those who attempt to separate the word of God and teach that there are two or more peoples of God are seriously misunderstanding God's design and the intent of his instructions. Number two, we find that the Sabbath still exists and is observed in the prophetic future, the 1,000-year reign. This is a problem for those who teach that the cross abolished the practice of the seventh-day Sabbath. If the literal observance of the Sabbath was truly abolished, then why would we be practicing it in the future? There is no difference in the observance of the Sabbath before and after the cross. Number three, we also understand that Yeshua, Jesus, declared that not one jot or tittle of the law would pass away till heaven and earth passes away, and all the law and prophets are fulfilled. We know that all the law and prophets are not completely fulfilled until Yeshua says, It is done in Revelation chapter 21. We also read by Paul that nothing in the law of God is to be nullified, and that all of God's word is instructions in righteousness. Any attempt to suggest that the Sabbath day has changed or been abolished, it clearly generates more irresolvable conflicts. Most refer to the Ten Commandments as Ten Commandments, not Nine. So where did the literal application of the Fourth Commandment go? How is it taught that the Sabbath has changed or been abolished? There are only two doctrines that are used to abolish the Seventh-day Sabbath. Number one, one doctrine turns the Seventh-day Sabbath into a First-day Sabbath. It is argued that the Lord changed the day. Modern Protestant theology in large rejected this doctrine. It is well established that the Catholic Church invented this change, and it is also well understood that there is not one verse in Scripture that can be used to support such a change. Number two, the other doctrine that is used to reject the practice of observing the seventh-day Sabbath is through Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. Supposedly, we are in the Lord's rest every day as believers. Thus, it is interpreted that observing the seventh-day Sabbath has become obsolete. What happens when we really examine and test this doctrine founded on Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3? Does Hebrews chapter 4 really teach that believers have already entered his rest? If it cannot be proven that believers have entered his rest via Hebrews chapter 4, then we are left with the embarrassing reality that abolishing the Sabbath rest has been in serious doctrinal error. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3, For we who have believed enter that rest. For example, if someone said, for we who have purchased Disney World tickets enter into Disney World. Does that statement offer any indication of when the one who purchased tickets actually entered into Disney World, if at all? No, it does not. It is simply a declarative statement expressing the ticket's owner's rights to enter into Disney World at some indefinite point in time. Now, if someone said, for example, for we who have purchased Disney World tickets entered into Disney World, in this statement, we can clearly tell that the one who had already purchased tickets has already entered into Disney World. The above exposes the differences in wording. Words mean things. Thus, there is a difference between these statements as well. Number one, for we who have believed 
enter that rest. This does not prove that we have entered into his rest. Number two, for we who have believed entered that rest. This would prove that we have entered his rest. Statement number one is written exactly the same as Hebrews chapter four, verse three. Statement number two is how Hebrews chapter four, verse three would have to be written to state that we have entered into his rest as believers. This is simply grammar. At this point, any biblical student should already have some strong concern about the we are in Christ's rest now doctrine. Hebrews chapter four, verse three is used to teach that without a doubt, we have already entered past tense into his rest as believers. In reality, as demonstrated, such a high level of confidence is clearly misplaced. Why would anyone place such a high level of confidence in such a shaky interpretation of eight words that abolishes the practicing of the seventh-day Sabbath model? Whatever the motivation might be, it does not change how this text is written. Just because someone is standing on a tree stump declaring that no tree was ever here does not make it so. We cannot force Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3 to state something that it does not state. In order to understand what Hebrews chapter 4 is really teaching, we require context. What is Hebrews chapter 4 really teaching? To understand Hebrews chapter 4, it serves well to understand Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test, and saw my works for forty years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. From this, we learn that Israel did not write God's commandments on their heart as they were instructed. Because of this, they did not know God's ways. They were denied entering his rest. As expected, the context of entering or not entering his rest is still the context. Also note that his rest is equated to entering into the promised land. Has that occurred yet? Not really. Joshua led Israel into the promised land, but that event was more of a prophetic foreshadowing for the future. The name Joshua in Hebrew is Yehoshua. Yehoshua is the same Hebrew name given to our Messiah, or Yeshua in Aramaic. A point of Hebrews chapter 4 is that this is a prophetic picture of when our Hebrew Messiah, Yehoshua, eventually sequentially transliterated into Jesus in modern Bibles, will bring us into the rest that is promised to us, similar to how Joshua did so long ago. For more information on how and when that occurs, we recommend reading the prophecy of Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, illustrating that when our Messiah returns, that we are all gathered from the four corners of the earth and brought into the land where our Messiah will reign for 1,000 years. More on that in a moment. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said. The author of Hebrews borrows from the lessons learned from the Israel's rebellion and offers those in Paul's day a warning to not make the exact same mistakes that those in the wilderness did. Hebrews chapter 3 makes it very clear that it is possible to fall away from the living God, being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The author of Hebrews encourages us 
to hold our confidence firm until the end. Thus, the end has some relationship to our goal, the rest that we are to enter into. Have we arrived to the end yet? No, we have not. To further illustrate this, most are still passionately waiting for end times to begin. As with any valid warning, the author is warning about very serious and very real possibilities. These warnings are being offered because these things can happen and evidently have happened. If these things were not possible, then the warning itself is pointless. The author is clearly writing to believers, calling them brothers and declaring them to be fellow sharers of Christ. One has to be in God to fall away from God. That certainly steps on some theological toes, but that is clearly a reality. We only share in Christ if we hold firm to the end. So now, the already established context of entering into or not into his rest has been expanded to tell us when we enter that rest. We enter that rest in the end if we hold firm. Hebrews chapter 3, 15 through 19. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. What frustrates many mainstream theologians is that those that sinned and were disobedient are also equated to being in unbelief. Did you see it? This is a challenge to many modern doctrines that attempt in every way possible to separate obedience and belief or faith. In reality, just as James teaches, there is a relationship. Here is how it is taught in Scripture. When we believe in the Word of God, faith, then the result is, is that we do what we believe. When we do not believe in the Word of God or do not have faith, then the result is that we disobey the Word of God. Consider this illustration. If you really believe, have faith, that a tree is going to be struck by lightning, then you will move away or do something to get away from that tree. The believing came first, but your behavior is consequently dictated by what you believe. What we believe in our heart is what we will do. Thus, it is not because of Israel's disobedience that they did not enter into the rest, but the lack of faith, writing his word on their heart. But because they failed to write his word on their heart, believe, the certain result is that they would not do the word of God. Meaning this, verse 19 equates disobedience with unbelief. Let's read it again. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. What does Hebrews chapter 3 establish as the context for Hebrews 4? What we have learned is that the rebellious Israel did not enter into God's rest because of their disobedience or unbelief. Likewise, the author of Hebrews instructs the same for us. We are to take care that we do not fall away from God into sin and disobedience and unbelief. If we ignore this warning and fail to uphold it, Hebrews 4 then outlines the consequences. Verse 1, Therefore, 
while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. This verse creates a problem for those believing that we have already entered into his rest. If we have supposedly have already entered into his rest, how could we fail to reach it? Remember, we already saw that the audience of this letter are described as brothers in the Messiah. They already believe. But even though they already believe, they are being warned that they might not enter his rest because of disobedience. This proves that belief now does not equate to rest now. Belief now and continued belief yields rest later. Those that believe but fall into disobedience would lose the rest due to them later. Clearly, we enter the rest in the end because we understand the promise of entering his rest still stands. If we, as believers, already entered his rest, then that promise would be fulfilled, not still pending. This is why the author of Hebrews encouraged us to hold firm to the end as it relates to entering his rest. Hebrews 3.14 If, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We share in Christ's rest if we hold our confidence firm to the end. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. For gospel, good news, came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. There is some frustration that often results from mainstream theologians in the understanding of this verse as well. Israel in the wilderness received the exact same gospel as we have. This is the same gospel that we are to obey. This is the same gospel that is everlasting. This is the same gospel that is the word of God. This is the same gospel that was preached to everyone. This is the same gospel that Christ preached and what was preached in the book of Acts. Israel happened to rebel against the word of God, which is evident in disobedience or unbelief. The word of God, gospel, did not benefit them because they did not believe the gospel. They were hearers only and not doers of the word, deceiving themselves. True faith generates obedience. Quite often in our mainstream doctrines, we prefer to pretend that the gospel received and the gospel Israel received in the wilderness was different. Quite clearly, it was not. This is the same gospel of the kingdom that Yeshua or Jesus preached. It should not be a surprise that Yeshua taught from, corrected from, and practiced the same law of God. This leads us to the next verse in question. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as they swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. It was just established in verse 4-1 that a promise of entering his rest still stands. It was also established in chapter 3, and we, as believers, receive a warning about falling short of entering his rest. Thus, it is when we have believed, past tense, that we enter his rest. As chapter 3 also clearly says, this is after we have been firm to the end. We have believed. Then we will enter into that rest. We cannot contradict verse 1. Clearly, the rest that we are to enter is after we pass the warning that the author of Hebrews is giving. Israel in the wilderness rebelled and did not enter into that rest. Verses 4 through 5. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. 
The author of Hebrews is making it clear that the seventh day is a day in which we rest from all of our works. Verse 1 states that this day has not yet arrived. Verse 2 states that those in the wilderness receive the same gospel of the kingdom that we have. And verse 3 states that after we have believed to the end that we will enter his rest. Verse 4 establishes a relationship to the seventh day as it relates to the gospel of the kingdom mentioned in verse 2. What does the pattern of the seventh day have to do with the kingdom that is coming? This is where some study of God's word becomes very revealing. The seven-day pattern and the day of the Lord as a Sabbath. What we will discover is that the seventh-day Sabbath is a prophetic foreshadowing of when Yahweh rests with us, just as he did during creation. We find that the six days of creation represent 6,000 years of man working and then 1,000 years of resting in him when our Messiah returns. Notice the pattern of seven in Job chapter 5, verse 19. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. According to this verse, we are to have six troubles before we are delivered. It is understood that as believers, we are to expect tribulation. What we can certainly understand from Job is that there is a six of trouble or tribulation. After this six comes the seventh, which is completely different than the six. In fact, no evil will touch us. That can only be after the first resurrection. We are delivered at the time of the resurrection. Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Both Job and Daniel agree that we are delivered at the time of the resurrection. So the resurrection happens on the 7th. But the seventh what? The resurrection happens on the seventh day. The seventh day is the last day of a week. This could also be called the last day as Martha correctly referenced it. John chapter 11. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Another reference to the last day is found in John chapter 6 verse 54, which is again in the context of the resurrection. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, Yeshua also stated that he was Lord of the Sabbath. We also know that when our Messiah returns, that the resurrection occurs. Not only does he return on the last day and the resurrection occurs, but he reigns for 1,000 years, and that's related to the last day, Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. 
We are gathered to him at the day of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 2. Now concerning of our coming of our Lord Hamashiach and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. If one does a search on the day of the Lord in the scriptures, one quickly realizes how many things actually take place during this day. This has led many to conclude that it is not a literal 24-hour day. In reality, this is true, but there's more to understand. Peter writes of the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. This is a reference to the return of our Messiah, Yeshua. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervor and heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Here, Peter tells us that heaven and earth pass away in the day of the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians 2, which we just read, we also learn that Yeshua's arrival begins the day of the Lord, yet he is to reign on earth for 1,000 years. How can this all occur if the day of the Lord is only one day? We know that heaven and earth do not pass away until at the end of the 1,000-year reign. Yet Thessalonians mentions that the day of the Lord begins with our Messiah's return at the beginning of 1,000 years. So why does this day appear to mirror the 1,000-year reign of our Messiah? Because the day of the Lord represents a day as a thousand years, not just a 24-hour period. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Revelation chapter 20. And I saw thrones that they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Yeshua and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast for his image, and they had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So the day of the Lord is 1,000 years long. This is the seventh period of 1,000 years. The seventh day in scripture is known as the Sabbath. This 1,000-year Sabbath day is a period in which our Messiah is Lord or Master, in which we live and reign with Him in the land. This is why our Messiah said that He is Lord over the Sabbath. The Sabbath He is referencing to is the day of the Lord. That is why it is His day. The day of the Lord is not just any day, it is the Sabbath. Contextually, Yeshua is referring to the seventh-day Sabbath, but prophetically, the Sabbath symbolically represents the day of the Lord, which is still in the future. Luke chapter 6, verse 5, And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. We see that this 6,000-year period of man presents itself later in Genesis in the story of Noah as well. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in or contend with man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. How does 120 mean 6,000? If you consider that a biblical jubilee period is a unit of 50, then 50 times 120 is 6,000 years. For 6,000 years, Yahweh will contend with man. After 6,000 years, well, he's coming down here through his Messiah, Yeshua. So Hebrews 4 is telling us about the rest that we will enter after we have believed and finished the race. Our Messiah will return on the seventh day to deliver us in the resurrection and bring us into the land as we were promised. We are not in that rest yet, but we look forward to it. Hebrews 4 continues, 
verses 4 through 9. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, not so long ago, in the words already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Did you catch that? So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Again, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. When do we rest from those works? Now? No. Hebrews 4 already declares we rest later. Revelation 14 also states that the rest from our labors does not occur till later, agreeing with Hebrews. Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from the labors, for their deeds follow them. Let's continue with Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So, we are not resting according to Hebrews. We are waiting for that rest. As we wait, we are told to not fall into unbelief and disobedience. As part of that obedience, we are told that there remains a Sabbath rest for those in the faith. And guess what? Even when the Sabbath is prophetically fulfilled, and our Messiah gives us rest at his 1,000-year reign, we are to still literally keep the Sabbath. Isaiah chapter 66. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares Yahweh. The Sabbath will still be recognized during the Sabbath reign of our Messiah, even though the Sabbath is prophetically being fulfilled during the millennial reign at the same time which is all the more reason we should still be remembering the Sabbath today as it has been since the beginning. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching. And remember, continue to test everything. Shalom. For years, we've been told that Sunday is now the accepted day of the Lord. Ministers, pastors, teachers, all saying the same thing. But what if they were wrong? How can the fourth commandment be disregarded by millions every week? What scriptures are used for their defenses? If the word of God truly stands forever, how can man's word dictate otherwise? What authorizes any man, church, or denomination to alter the Word of God? If the Sabbath was given to man, why should one ever think that God would take it away? Are you ready to confront your faith? Are you willing to let traditions fall? Learn what has been covered by centuries of man-made doctrines. 
Discover the truth as revealed in the scriptures of how the Sabbath is the sign between the Father and those who pursue after His ways. The Sabbath Day from 119 Ministries. It is because of you, our generous supporters, who make it possible to offer these high-quality teachings completely free of charge. If you feel led to support 119 Ministries so that we can continue this effort, please visit testeverything.net and click on the Support 119 tab. Learn how you can partner with us to take the whole Word of God to the nations.